Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to a history of Europe. Key battles. The Battle of Poitiers. Of 1356. In the last episode, I talked about how in 1346, King Edward III of England led his army to a resounding victory against King Philip VI of France at the Battle of Cressy, and the year after took control of the port town and harbour of Calais. It was evident the momentum of the war was of the English, but what was less clear was the precise extent of Edward's ambitions. Officially, he had declared himself King of France, and that his intention was to take the throne in Paris, which he claimed was rightfully his. Yet to conquer the whole of France was a formidable task. Edward and his captains led raids into French lands, where they sacked numerous towns. Yet except in Brittany and in Calais, he had not yet conquered any new territory. The failure to install garrisons may well be explained by a lack of resources, but it may also suggest that Edward's real plan was to harass the French into some kind of settlement, rather than to take the French throne. Edward certainly invested considerable time, men and money in his campaigns, but his actions suggest he was an opportunist and a realist, and his plans all along was to dismember France. It is possible that his true aim was to recreate the Angevine Empire of his illustrious ancestor, King Henry II. An important motivation was the desire to regain glory for his family after his predecessors had lost the French territories, and also for his country. Before Cressy, England was seen on the continent as a second-rate and rather peripheral power. Afterwards, the English had re-earned respect by showing what an effective military threat they were now able to present. On the 22nd of August, 1350, King Philip VI of France died, succeeded by his 30-year-old son, John II. King John is described as being handsome, with a fine red beard. He had a great love of tournaments, and had also participated in the war against the English in Gascony and Cressy. His accession as king coincided with a year-long truce between England and France, while Edward turned his attention to another problem. Ships of the Kingdom of Castile, when sailing on their way to trade well in Flanders, were making an increasing habit of attacking English ships on their way, something Edward was determined to put an end to. Security on the sea routes between Flanders, England and northern Spain was essential if Edward were to realise his ambitions of bringing the western seaboard of France into union with England. A week after John's accession, on the 29th of August, 1350, a large fleet of around 50 English cogs, commanded by Edward and his son, Edward the Black Prince, met a fleet of more than 20 large Castilian galleys in the waters off the coast of Sussex. 
The Battle of Winchelsea was fought in a similar fashion as the Battle of Slough. The enemy ships were charged down, grappling irons thrown over and boarded by parties of knights eager to slay the enemy sailors. Again the English won the day, capturing numerous galleys, destroying others and hurling hundreds of stricken sailors into the sea. For this reason, the battle later came to be called Les Espagnols sur Mer. The Castilian fleet was effectively forced out of the Channel for years to come, and English merchant ships could again sail safely between Aquitaine and the English ports. In 1354, several victories had left Edward effectively in charge of Aquitaine, Brittany and the area around Calais. At a peace conference held under papal authority in Avignon, Edward proposed to renounce his claim to Don II's throne in exchange for full English sovereignty over Aquitaine, Poitou, Anjou, Maine, Touraine, Limoges and Pontou. Hardly surprisingly, the French rejected the offer. Peace talks collapsed and both sides prepared for resumption of war. An additional problem for the French king at this moment was an individual named Charles of Navarre. A son of Joan II of Navarre, the only child of King Louis X, Charles felt he was the rightful heir to the French crown. In addition to his inheritance of extensive lands in Normandy, Charles assumed the, the crown of Navarre in the Pyrenees in October 1349. During his reign there, he spent very little time in his kingdom, regarding it principally as a source of manpower with which to advance his designs on the crown of France. Edward's invasion temporarily triggered a reconciliation between John and Charles. They signed a treaty in September 1355, but it was an uneasy truce. Charles and other unruly French nobles seriously damaged John's ability to rebuild the French military effort. By April, the king lost his patience and arrested and imprisoned Charles. By the autumn of 1355, Edward had two large invasion forces organised, one under his own command and the other under his son, the Black Prince. The king's army did not stay long. They landed at Calais in late October, but when King John failed to engage in battle, Edward returned to Britain. There he led a chevauchee around the lowlands of Scotland, inflicting such misery on the local people that January 1356 became known as the Burned Candlemas. The Black Prince, meanwhile, stayed in France much longer. Earlier in 1355, the nobility of Gascony had appealed for military assistance against the increasingly hostile activities of the Count of Armagnac, the French king's lieutenant in Languedoc, who had encamped on the banks of the River Lot, only 27 leagues from Bordeaux. Over the autumn, the Black Prince led a combined Anglo-Gascon army in a chevauchee from Bordeaux to the Mediterranean coast and Narbonne. The Count of Armagnac assembled an army, but did not engage in battle, probably cautious after the recent English success at Cressy. The prince met with the Count of Foire and agreed to leave his lands alone. Everywhere else the English caused much destruction and devastated many towns and villages, seriously affecting local French tax revenue. The raid struck at the reputation of the French monarch and nobility, who seemed incapable of defending their people. Reinforcements for the army of the Black Prince sailed from England in early 1356 in preparation for further attacks. 
This time, instead of going southeast to Languedoc, the English headed in a northeast direction, possibly to link up with the Duke of Lancaster, who was in charge of a separate campaign in Normandy. In early August, they marched along the east of the Massif Central through Perigord, the Limousin, and Poitou. King John was occupied laying siege to the castle of Bretoy, trying to put down a rebellion of men loyal to the brother of Philip of Navarre, brother of Charles. His army was making little headway when he heard the news of the Black Prince's latest attack, realised that he had to act. Although the costs of French military action were already crippling, he felt he had no choice but to pay the Navarrese to abandon the castle and face the new threat. He was urgently needed in the south to save his land and his political reputation. French royal forces were redeployed at Chartres. Realising he had to counter the mobility of the Anglo-Gascon army, John left much of his infantry behind. Although joined by a contingent of Scottish troops led by William Douglas, the King's call for assistance from the French nobility was met with little enthusiasm. It was not until the 10th of September that John joined forces with the Count of Poitiers and crossed the River Loire at Blois. Together they marched towards Amboise, only some ten miles from Edward's army. The prince responded by withdrawing over the rivers Cher and Indra and agreeing to negotiations for truce. Realising he was in a precarious situation, Edward appeared willing to make significant concessions, including the forfeiture of all property and prisoners that had been gained in the campaign, and an oath not to take up arms against the King of France for seven years. The French, however, insisted on total surrender. Edward retreated, but maintained a formation ready to defend against an assault. The precise location of the battle is not known for sure, but it is clear that John caught up with Edward's army on the banks of the river Moisson, a short distance southeast of the city of Poitiers, on the 19th of September, 1356. The English had positioned themselves behind natural obstacles, hedges, trees and marshy areas that allowed the French only two routes of attack. In front of them, a brief slope fell away, and then the ground began to rise towards the French lines. This meant that the French could charge downhill much of the way to the English, where the last few yards were uphill and well protected by a hawthorn hedge. The French army was drawn up into four divisions. The king's brother, the Duke of Orléans, led one of the divisions. Another was nominally commanded by the king's son, Charles. In 1349, as a young prince, Charles had received from his grandfather, King Philip VI, the Provence of Dauphiné to rule. From this date, all heirs apparent of France bore the title of Dauphin until their coronation. As he was only 18 years old, the king reinforced this division with more experienced soldiers, such as the Duke of Bourbon. The first French cavalry charges were premature and poorly coordinated, and the English longbowmen, as in the Battle of Cressy, proved more than a match for them. After the failure of the initial assault, the Dauphin's division, despite having to contend with both a hail of arrows and the retreating French vanguard, succeeded in reaching the English lines and the keenly fought battle ensued. The French were only finally thrown back after both sides sustained heavy losses and the Dauphin's standard-bearer was taken captive. At this point, the battle had not yet been decided either way. King John could have chosen this moment to attack once more with his remaining forces, Instead, he decided on a more cautious approach, dismissing from battle his three elder sons, including the Dauphin. 
In so doing, he lost momentum and also weakened morale among many of the remaining French troops. The division under the Duke of Orléans likewise retreated, though it was not clear whether it was because they were ordered to, or whether they fled in reaction to seeing the withdrawal of their colleagues. This gave the English a vital moment of respite, in which to gather themselves, rearm with arrows, and attend to their casualties. In the final phase of battle, the French slowly advanced under cover of an interlinked shield wall. The majority of this section of the French army was still fresh in contrast to the English, who had been engaged in conflict for about three hours. In response, the Black Prince reordered his troops and took the initiative. Firstly, he had some of his men-at-arms remount their horses and prepare to charge the French lines. Secondly, he ordered a detachment of cavalry, who were concealed from the French behind a small hill, to engage in an encircling manoeuvre. The longbowmen fired their remaining arrows and joined the infantry, fighting with daggers and swords. The final phase of the battle was again a close-run affair, but was ultimately won by the sections of the English army working well in concert. The death of the French standard-bearer and then the capture of King John marked the end of battle. Many other French nobles were captured, including the king's youngest son, Philip, the Archbishop of Somme, and numerous counts. Some remnants of the French army were routed into the marshes and others fled towards Poitiers, pursued by Englishmen and Gascons. The townspeople closed the gates for the defence of the city, leaving many French soldiers to be killed outside the city walls. Although the French had learned some of the lessons of Cressy, they had lacked the leadership to make their numbers and tactical plans tell. In all, around 2,500 of their men-at-arms had been killed or captured, compared with only 40 Anglo-Gascons. This was in addition to the presumably much more numerous number of slain infantrymen and archers. John was lauded by Edward as a great king who had fought bravely, but beneath the knightly courtesy, the political reality was clear. France was in crisis, where the English were totally ascendant. John was brought to England. In return for his release, Edward demanded nothing less than the return of the lands of the Angevin Empire, with the addition of Pointu, Boulogne, Aguin and Calais in full sovereignty, as well as an immense ransom. In the king's absence, local estates all around France agitated for reforms. The economic warfare of the English was having the desired effect of triggering discontent throughout France. Philip of Navarre, brother of Charles of Navarre, threw in his lot with the invading English army of the Duke of Lancaster and made war on the Dauphin's forces throughout Normandy. On the 9th of November 1357, Charles of Navarre escaped his French prison and made his way to Amiens, where he was greeted as a hero. On entering Paris, he'd addressed the populace, listing his grievances among those who had imprisoned him. He demanded the Dauphin's own Duchy of Normandy and the County of Champagne, which would have made him effectively ruler of northern France. The country was effectively in a state of civil war. On the 22nd of February, 1358, the Dauphin's chief military officers were murdered before his eyes by a mob led by Etienne Marcel. Marcel made the Dauphin a virtual prisoner and invited Charles of Nevada to return to the city. The Dauphin was forced to agree to many of Charles' territorial demands and to promise to provide him finance for a standing army of a thousand men for his personal use. Soon after, though, the Dauphin escaped his prison and opened a campaign from the east against Charles and a revolutionary Paris. 
Then, in the last days of May 1358, a peasant rebellion erupted to the north of Paris, which came to be known as the Jacquerie. This was a spontaneous expression of hatred for the nobility, who they blamed for betraying the realm. Charles could not resist the chance to appear as the leader of the French aristocracy, and led the suppression of the Jacquerie at the Battle of Mello, the 10th of June 1358, and the subsequent massacre of rebels. He returned to Paris and made an open bid for power, urging the populace to elect him as captain of Paris. This move lost Charles the support of many of the nobles, who had supported him against the Jacquerie, and they began to abandon him for the Dauphin. Charles of Navarre next opened negotiations with Edward III, proposing that the English king and he should divide France between themselves. If Edward invaded France and helped him defeat the Dauphin, he would recognise Edward as King of France, and do homage to him for the territories of Normandy, Picardy, Champagne and Brie. But Edward no longer trusted Charles, and both he and the captive John II regarded him as an obstacle to peace. On the 24th of March, 1359, Edward and John concluded the Treaty of London, whereby John would be released back to France on payment of a huge ransom and would concede to Edward III, Normandy, Anjou, Touraine and Bologna, as well as overlordship of Brittany. The Dauphin, however, refused to accept the treaty, prompting Edward to organise another invasion of France. In November 1359, the Black Prince led an army of around 10,000 men out of Calais and southwest towards the seat of French kingship Edouard. The city had great significance for the French nobility, since it had been the site of the coronation of French kings since Louis I in AD 816. Moreover, it lay just a few days' march from Paris. Its capture would have left the French capital vulnerable to an English attack. But the campaign was too late. In two senses. It was waged over a particularly harsh winter, and it came a full three years after John's capture, during which time the Dauphin had used the time to strengthen his position. Rheims was stoutly defended, and the Black Prince abandoned his attempts at a siege in January 1360, after just five weeks. Rather than attempting to capture Rheims, he agreed an alliance with the Duke of Burgundy, and set out for Paris in the hope of drawing the Dauphin into a pitched battle. Wisely, the Dauphin refused to be tempted into open battle and stayed in Paris. The prince was forced to draw back his army, weakened by plague and caught in a powerful thunderstorm, which destroyed a large part of the baggage train. Peace talks resumed in May 1360, in which the treaty was accepted similar to that proposed the year before in London. Edward reduced John's ransom and gave up his claim to the French throne. In addition, the French agreed to stop supporting the Scots against the English and Edward to cease aiding rebellions in Flanders. The agreement came to be called the Treaty of Brittany and came to shape the rest of the Hundred Years' War. Edward returned to England in time for Christmas 1360 to proclaim and celebrate the peace. France, meanwhile, lay devastated, crippled for a generation by John II's ransom and territorially dismembered. However, neither the treaty nor the English victories on the battlefield had settled the war. The population of King Edward's new continental territories were by no means endeared to English lordship, and the French military was not destroyed. When the Dauphin ascended to the French throne to become Charles V, he proved himself a capable leader. Though of poor health and no warrior, Charles earned himself the sobriquet among the French chroniclers of the wise. 
He had no intention of accepting the English and France, but realised a direct military confrontation could be disastrous, at least for now. He would try to undermine the invaders by more subtle tactics. It was, and still is, easy for the English to get seduced by the images of glory presented by the battles of Cressy and Poitiers. But according to John Sumption, the problem with these famous victories is that they set a standard of achievement, which their successors would struggle to match. The one-sided Treaty of Brittany drew lines across the map of France, from which another generation of English diplomats, the prisoners of their own triumphs, were unable to retreat with honour. There are many more twists and turns to come in a hundred years' war, which would continue for many more decades. Thank you for listening to A History of Europe, Key Battles. As ever, it would be great to hear from you, either on the Facebook page of History Europe, Key Battles, or you can write to me directly, card at historyeurope.net, or maybe on the blog, uh, www.historyeurope.net. Until next time, all the best and goodbye. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.